You're listening to Raw with Marty Gallagher, J.P. Bryce, and Jim Steele, brought to you by Iron Company. If you enjoy our podcast, please share the link and give us a review. With us today is a gentleman that's been involved in weight training since the 1970s, joined the police department in 1980, and is a big fan of the Raw podcast. Today, we welcome Chief Kevin Mollis of the Malden, Massachusetts Police Department. Welcome, Chief. Thank you for having me. It's a real honor and a privilege. Well, it was no easy thing to get you on here. I can assure you of that. Yes, yes. Yeah, all my Malden? fault. All my fault. Where is Malden? Uh, it's about a little less than four miles north of uh, Boston. Uh, oh, that's a Boston suburb. Yeah. So I, I, live I, in, have to I, li- I live. I live in Cambridge for a year. Okay, so you're you're very close to where I am. So I apologize up front for the accent. There might be some translation <laughs> needed, but uh, I can get it right out of the gate here. I do park my car in the Harvard Yard if I'm over there. So uh, <laughs> now we're done. M- Marty, what were you doing up there, Marty? You you had a job up there? Yeah, one of my last real world jobs is I was uh, uh, head of a political fundraising organization. No shit. No, really? I didn't know that. Dude, you have done it, man. Get that book. Get that life story book. I'll, I'll write it. I'll write yeah, it. Yeah, he's almost done it all, right, Jim? Yeah. <laughs> what What years would that have been, Marty? Oh, let me see. That would have been 1999, wow. 98, no, 98, 90, 98, 90, 97, 98. Yeah. I also lived in Milford, Connecticut for a couple of years. Yeah. Cambridge is a fascinating place. Uh, you know, Harvard, MIT, some, you know, great uh, educational yeah. institutions there. As uh, the manager in Spinal Tap said, Boston's not a good college town. <laughs> what did he mean by that? He meant Marty. that he was so so ignorant that he couldn't figure out that Boston was the most college dense location oh, in America. Yeah, got yeah. it. <laughs> All well, right, anyway. Malden, Mass. Let's roll. <laughs> Actually, Mal- Malden, Mass has uh, one uh, a couple of distinctions. One of them is that it's the location of the first daytime bank robbery in the history of the United States in which the bank teller was shot and killed. So the first daytime bank robbery in the whole country happened here. When was that? Uh, 1860s. Oh, so when Jesse James did that stuff, it was not a state yet, I guess, where he was. Wasn't he doing that? Or maybe that was uh, he not, not uh, he might have been steel. What's that, Marty? <laughs> not in Massachusetts. No, he said in the whole country, Marty. Yeah, yeah, no, it's the whole country, and uh, it might the distinction, Jim, might be that Jesse James might have been doing uh, stagecoach and uh, train robberies, but Malden uh, well, definitely the first they, one on that. And uh, they also, were, they were gunning each the other, other. They were gunning each other down in duels, right and left. That was the thing, guys. Back then, they didn't get into fist fights. They marched off twenty paces, turned and fired. Aaron Burr. Right. And then the other distinction is that Malden, Massachusetts, is the first place to declare independence from England. We nice. did it in May. We did it in May, before the uh, action took place in July down in. Uh, you know, Philadelphia, Malden, Massachusetts signed a declaration that said, regardless of what they chose to do, we were already committed to independence. In, this, in essence, the bravery of that was 
they were signing their death warrant because right. they, they, they would have been declared traitors. So that's a, you know, a, another nice part of our history. So, well, it's changed a lot up there now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess that's part of uh, well, with politically, revolution. but not, I'm sure not with the people, but politically, yeah. Yeah, with revolution comes evolution too. So. I guess, yeah. What's uh, chief? Weren't you saying something else? Malden is famous for, or maybe uh, Boston Strangler Albert DeSalvo <laughs> lived in Malden when he was caught. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not emphasizing all bad crime things, but uh, you know, well, you said a, something about sneakers. Yeah. Oh, Converse rubber. Marty might appreciate this and Jim Converse rubber at one time was probably the only sneaker available and they were all made in Malden, Massachusetts. Their factory was here. So, uh, yeah, Converse oh, rubber was right down the street from my house. And, um, is that where they, day sneaker. is that where they were making the Chuck Taylors? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, I used to go there when I was a little kid to buy my sneakers and they had Bob Lanier a Hall of Fame yeah. basketball player, size 22 sneaker. They yeah. used to have it uh, behind the counter, his Chuck Taylors. No kidding, man. I still wear those. I've, I've been wearing those since the 80s. Nike wow. Yeah. yeah. I remember when they changed over, they used to always be American made, probably right there at the same place. And then they yeah. went overseas. Yep. And uh, that was probably in the 90s or so. No, yeah. it's, it's an interesting study. They study this probably in economic schools, how the only company that dominated a market then really became uh, you know, pushed aside by things like Nike, Reebok, Adidas, and what have you. So, yeah, it's funny at the gym now, I see people, you know, that, you know, powerlifters, they like to wear the Chuck Taylors. Yeah. I think they like the lack Whoa. of arch support maybe i don't know but yeah and you feel closer to the ground you know those track right. shoes are the worst thing i see people squatting in track shoes i just want to slap them man it just makes me nuts all that squishiness when they're trying to set up you know it doesn't yeah make... see it's a good thing jim doesn't live in my city i can just hear the call to the police <laughs> uh malden control to 165 you want to go by the gym somebody is alleging they just got slapped they're by someone because they were wearing track shoes that's right that's right um yeah, I guess you could go, uh, you know, you could justify that in court, I guess, by saying it's not the right thing to do, but you still might be found responsible for assault and battery. Yes, yes. There would be some mitigation, though, I guess. Hey, uh, uh, Marty. Go ahead, buddy. Oh, okay. Uh, Chief, how do we know you? How did how did Chief creep into our lives here and... Uh, Bless us with with this friendship here. All right, this is a this is a, a great thing. I, I want to say right from the beginning, uh, sincerely, um, and this is no false humility. I, I I don't belong here. I have probably only spotted weights that of what you people have lifted. Okay, but I don't watch a lot of news. I listen to podcasts and I'm kind of selective and I, I, I try to find podcasts that, you know, appeal to my interest, but also maybe broaden my perspective. And uh, a lot of it's related to fitness and wellness. And somehow a few months ago, uh, I stumbled on this raw podcast and I listened to it. And this is what I want you three gentlemen to know. Immediately, I felt that I was 
a privileged member of a conversation between three good men. It's almost like I walked into a bar, a diner, or a coffee shop, and I overheard three people talking in a way that wanted me to say, uh, hey, that's interesting what you're talking about. Can I ask you a question? Can I join you? Can I buy you a coffee? If you buy us a beer, yeah. Yeah, and and I I have to say, this is with real uh, sincerity, that you you filled uh, the the time in ways that made me say, these guys are talking about some nostalgic things that are still relevant, and you discuss things in a way that uh, is entertaining, enlightening, informing, and I became hooked, and I take saunas at night. I have a sauna in my backyard, and it gets nice. up to 210 degrees. Awesome. Or 220. And uh, I have to admit, it's excruciating. So I like to listen to podcasts in there to make the time go by. <laughs> so I would often bring you guys into the sauna with me. Oh, uh, yeah. And um, But again, it was well, the information that you were supplying. Right, now, now, hold on, hold on. We'll break it up just a little bit. So you got a 210 degree sauna. Yeah. Now, can you throw water on those rocks? You can. I don't do it. Um, will it you, electrocute you? Will it electrocute you? No. If you do that? No, it has the rocks, and, and you can sprinkle some water on it, I guess, if you wanted to increase maybe the, uh, yeah. the level of discomfort all. through humidity or what have you. But, uh, oh, no, it, it burns your skin. Oh, it's yeah. fabulous. Uh, yeah, I do... Um, I have access to a steam room a sauna yep. and, a cold, and a cold shower. So after I train, I'll rotate through. I usually do steam room to me is more intense. It's like turns you into a lobster. Yeah. So I'll do steam room, cold shower, steam room, cold shower. And then I'll usually finish with like drying off in the sauna. And after a tough workout and that hydrotherapy, it's like you're in an altered state. You're yeah. on an exercise-induced acid trip. Yeah. And, and the thing that, uh, you know, made me go this route was, you know, again, listening to people that, you know, have knowledge about fitness, wellness. And I guess they've done some studies with Finland because there were more people in Finland that use sauna than anywhere. So it's a good body of evidence to see the health benefit. Um and for recovery, even cardiovascular, so well, I, I do it. How are, how are you doing, Chief, in terms of you and your situation and your health and your fitness? And how old are you now? If you're in the 70s, you got to be what? You're pretty vintage, right? Yeah, I'm 64. Okay, 64. Uh, you probably got a lot of responsibility. How many dudes do you have underneath you? Uh, 100 and, uh, about 109. And I, I have oh some. Oh, my God. I have a, I, I'm lucky. I, I have some great pops, but uh, oh, no, I know. I, I'm, I'm sure they're great, but I mean, God almighty, a hundred year responsible. You need that sauna. You need yeah. people. No, wow. and I have, uh, you know, the community. I, I, Malden, Massachusetts is the most diverse city in Massachusetts. There are 70 languages spoken at the high school. It's a very dynamic place to work, and it's where I was born. So it's a place that I, I know very well. Uh, you. You know, I, I will tell you one funny aside on Marty's thing. When people ask me how many people work at the Malden Police Department, 
this is not applicable, but I remember reading that uh, Pope John the 23rd was once asked how many people work at the Vatican, and he said half of them. Yeah, half of them do the work. Yeah, baby. Oh, now, come on. Now, don't talk about, about, about your people. No, no, no. And I, I don't apply that to my place. I'm very lucky. Well, uh, it sure sounded kind of like No, it. no. I, I, I offered a, 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 a disclaimer on that. Okay. So Chief, Chief, what about your lifting? So you said you started, or JP in the introduction said you started training yeah. in the 70s. Yeah. So what happened was uh, in the Boston area back then, in the early 70s, the Boston Bruins dominated the culture. Hockey right. was absolutely uh, a, a religion or a culture. And I will say this. I don't know if you follow hockey at all. Bobby Orr, absolutely the greatest hockey player that ever lived, you know, dominated uh, the, the, the mentality. So I grew up like a lot of my friends playing, uh, you know, hockey. And then I went to a, a high school, Malden Catholic which was extremely good in hockey. Okay. Kids came here from the whole, all of Boston area from ma Charlestown. Ma ma imagine it was probably extremely good in all the sports, wasn't it? Yeah. But hockey uh, was, was dominant because we would attract kids, the best players in the, in the area, kids from Charlestown, Massachusetts, where Bunker right. Hill uh, is from. Right. And, right. and so I didn't uh, end up, going getting on the hockey team when I was a freshman and uh, I had played freshman football. So I knew my hockey career in high school wasn't going to be a reality. So I, I was going to stick with the football, but my problem was as a freshman, I was either five foot two, 104 pounds oh boy. or five foot four and 102 pounds or something like that. I remember, well, the, how, I remember how, big it are, how, big, how big are you now? Now I'm six uh, two, and I keep my weight down a little bit. I tried. I, I've gone more of the the Paul Bear Bryant thing of being mean, lean, agile, mobile, and hostile. But I right. keep out the I keep out the mean and the hostile. I just try to be lean. <laughs> so, you just brought up to six two. I mean, if you were a freshman, five two. Yeah, I was. I've kind of reached my maximum height. I think when I was a freshman. I was yeah, no, I, by I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, but my problem always was was weight gain. So what happened was I remembered the football coach in my high school was very forward thinking. He actually had a good weight room and nobody had weight rooms back then. Yeah, I mean, maybe cool. in your part of the world, right. they did. We, uh, nobody had really. weight. Room. Not really. So, so he had everything there because he liked to lift weights. So I remember going there after school one day and he weighed me and, you know, he, you know, he gave you as a routine. And back then, I don't know if this is a regional thing, but the bench press was the guiding, you know, yeah. light of, of how much can you bench? How much can you bench? Yeah, and yeah, the bench yeah, press yeah. was always the gate into manhood. Yeah. yeah, in fact, in the high school, they actually had a 200-pound bench press club, which got you a little trophy. Then they had a 225-pound bench press club, which got you a T-shirt. And, and uh, you know, it, then they went all the way up to, like, 300. Now, this is in 1972, 73, 74. So, me, 5'2", 104 pounds, I don't <laughs> think I 
bench press 65 pounds. And the, the, the other thing was back then, I'm a right-handed person. I'm curious if did you find this out when people first start out. When I would bench, my right hand would oh, kind of yeah. go up easier than my left hand. So I would almost be like rolling the weight yeah. up yeah. until the, I, the left side caught up with it. But again, yeah. I, I remember, you know, that the, the bench press was where the emphasis was and the idea of, of lifting weights kind of really, uh, you know, resonated with me because I knew right, I had to right, get right, bigger. All right. Let, let me, let, let's, let's have conversation here. Okay. Instead of yep. just, you're just rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling. So let me just, let me just stop you here. So when you, uh, when, when did you really start getting traction with your lifting? I would say the thing that was energizing was again it's probably because of when you're 13 and 14 you grow if you if you create that environment for your body because it's going to grow naturally so I, I was noticing that you know incrementally strength would go up you know the coach put us on the idea of that you know do a set of eight add some weight add some weight build up to one rep and then you would so see you're, you're a high school you're still in, you're a high school junior senior at what, at what how, how big were you and what, what position did you play as a senior center because my father oh. was a center uh yeah. when he played and so that was an attachment to that and i'll be honest i wasn't that great how, how big nobody, were you by your, by your senior year chief uh it's funny the coach always said i never had a lineman that didn't weigh at least 160 pounds so i went for the physical i think i wore timberland boots <laughs> had a bunch of quarters in my pocket and drank a gallon of water before I went right. in for the physical. So uh, I, I think okay. I was probably uh, 165 like that. Okay. okay. So you did grow some. Uh, yeah. And my, my coach back then said, you got to take this Bob Hoffman weight gain stuff. And he wrote Whoa. it on a piece of paper. I got to tell you, I think Wait. I still have the paper. Because it was six dollars and ninety-five cents. That was a lot of money. What, what was it? The tuna by the sea, Marty? Remember the protein of the no. sea? No, it was <laughs> no, the crash, but it was, it was, it was the weight gain one, and it yeah, was chocolate yeah. flavored, and it was disgusting. Yep. Yeah. 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 Well, I tell you, but it was all—it was all a joke because it was yeah. all sweet, sweet protein. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, and it tasted you know, so bad. My father used to like put peanut butter in it, bananas, well, yeah, yeah. anything. Put, that's box, what you put. That was box. the secret. That was yeah. a couple eggs yes. in there. You were uh, good everything, <laughs> everything. A half a half a can of Hershey's chocolate syrup. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that and and a bunch of whole milk, and it tastes delicious. And put ice yeah. cream. I like to put ice cream in it. Yeah. yeah, banana was it? Everybody put bananas. Banana. In we yeah. used to put wheat germ and all kinds oh, of oh, stuff. Oh in well, there. now imagine this. See, I came up in a time before there was electric blenders, so I had to do right. all this with my, with a hand crank. Okay. <laughs> I'm about a creek. I'm about a creek. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Marty, Marty, I was in the same boat. I used to put it all in like this big glass that <laughs> container that used to have apple juice in it. And just shake it up. I think yeah. I got a workout shaking it up, and it never totally what emulsified or whatever. It never mixed. I mean, they make hey. stuff mix a lot better nowadays. Oh my but god! It used to hey, be I had mess. this. I had this grass-fed protein the other day, which was 
Dippin' Dots flavored or something, man. It was uh, unbelievable. Yeah. I was like, and you know, I'm, I'm sort of jealous, but then unbelievably, I'm also, unbelievably good, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah I'm yeah, also yeah. thinking it's not fair. My son doesn't have to go through the catching the puke in your mouth when you wolf down the, the reader super weight gain. <laughs> yeah, the but horror. we appreciate that. We wouldn't, we wouldn't trade did, that. Did you ever have, did anybody ever do brewer's yeast? That was yes. a craze. Oh, yes. so Dr. Dr. Don, I think I did for a minute. And desi oh, I did a desiccated worst. liver. I did the hundred shift yeah. liver pills yeah and i would <laughs> shift out room. i could clear out a room arnold i could clear out the whole gym. arnold and franco did them well you know they did that yes. study with the rats and the endurance and i read that yeah. study the rats that got the desiccated liver and the rats that did the rats that got it didn't drown for a while you know so 100 a day yeah so i was yes. like let's go and then you know I, I was working at you know my uh the equipment room at university of maryland i wasn't making enough money to keep myself in desiccated liver, but I did it for a while. And Vince Garanda was really into the big the time. That in thirty eggs a day or something too. He yeah. said if he did uh, that, crazy. it was like yeah. Vince was Vince was ahead of his time. Vince was keto. He was. He was. <clears throat> yeah, he would he would say, "Hey, drink heavy cream, eat yep. yeah. uh, steaks with fat on it, but avoid vegetables and avoid potatoes and avoid everything else." But, yeah, he was you know, like ketogenic before the word even like was known. Oh yeah. Then yeah, I used to buy. Yeah. Um, Bob Hoffman had these like um, protein pills. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They were, and they were I, I, I remember like eating them, and then like an hour later, if you coughed, <laughs> like powder would come up out of your. Oh yeah. Chest. I mean, Dude, the the hunger to get bigger and stronger. If somebody would have just. Come yeah. up with an advertisement, eat dog crap. You know, we'd be like, oh, yes. right. You know, it's just anything at that age, you know, oh. you're going, you're hitting puberty, you want to get bigger, and you will literally do anything to get bigger, man. And yes. Yeah. And then culturally, that's why when I listen to you gentlemen, it's like, I, I can't believe the trip down memory lane. I used to walk up to the place where all the magazines got sold. Yeah, and I used, to go in, I used to go in there and like read Iron Man. I I, yep. I would like be dying. When's the new magazine coming yeah, out? When's the new magazine coming out? Yep, yep. And then I would go there, and I thought Iron Man was outstanding. It was good. Yep, it was. And, and, and that's when like you were talking about desiccated liver. I bought those. Yep. I mean, Brewers, Marty, you just reminded me. I'm gonna have a traumatic <laughs> experience here. I think it was Doctor Don's box. Uh, wheat germ, Todd Don's box is still around. Well, the guy who started the, the real revolution was Rio H. Blair with his right. milk, milk and protein. Yes. Uh, yeah, milk and egg protein. Yep. And I reached up until out to then, him. Up, now, let me let me finish. Yeah. Uh, up until then, it was this this collusion between all the makers. They all use soy because it was incredible cheap. It's just yeah. it's and they were buying the soy after it had been gotten most of the soy goodness out of it. So it was even the leftover soy. Like bottom right. of the barrel soy. The yeah. bottom of the barrel. <laughs> so the, uh, the only good that we got from those supplements was whatever we mixed it with and that, so placebo, that placebo effect. That's right. That's I, exactly. I believe, brother, <laughs> I believe when I, when I spent my eight dollars and 95 cents to get my four pound tub of hoffman's yeah. gain weight bro i gained weight okay yeah. 
Yeah, you were going to make it happen somehow. Uh, and I did. And I mixed up yeah. my gallon a day and I drank it. And I trained every day. I trained my ass off. And you know what? I gained those 14 pounds in yeah. 14 days. And you, and you know, I think half of it or more yeah, than half. It was half magical. The amount of magical milk that we drank. Marty, you know, the <laughs> yeah, well, that was, well, yeah, that was the thing, right? So, if you're drinking, what, yeah. how many calories is a gallon of whole milk? Yeah, right so I was there, drinking, right? you know, a gallon every couple of days. Yeah. You know, and then you're like, man, that protein powder works. But meanwhile, uh, it's the, it's then, the milk. Then, then, here, then here's my father walking into the kitchen as I'm sitting there blending up six raw eggs with a hand beater. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, what are you doing, he, boy? Yeah, no, he just no, he he, he just he shook his head and walked out. Yeah, he just pretty yeah, he was like that. He goes, Oh, okay, yes, indeed. You know. You know, it's uh, funny. So, I used yeah, to drink every day, every day, every day without I never missed. I <laughs> yes. never missed. I, I drank tons of milk. I I I grew up with four brothers, so I can remember oh, yeah. my mother sometimes saying, Where were you? Where did uh, all the milk go? Where, where, I mean, this where, is where like, order, now, where were you in the order? Where were you in the order? I'm brother? the second oldest. Now, back then, uh, here's an interesting side note Sunnyhurst Dairy was like a franchise in my part in the Boston area. The owner of the place was best friends with Rocky Marciano. No way. Best friends. Rocky Marciano's pitcher was on the milk bottles it said oh. for radiant health rocky marciano says drink milk oh well, you man. better be drinking so, that milk i know oh yeah so rocky marciano came to the grocery store like 30 yep. seconds from my house one time <laughs> oh. well, no way oh yeah so rocky marciano i have a milk bottle i still have one so rocky <laughs> marciano is on on the uh the milk bottle so but I, i'm drinking so much milk this is like nostalgia so now you return the milk bottles when yep. you went and got more milk. So I would bring well, them back right. to the store and you left them behind the thing. This is funny. And then I would and get were, a and they were glass and they my... were they were they were glass and they'd break yeah. and they'd cut you. Yeah, and they would clink together as you were walking because there were five yep. boys in the family. So a half a gallon wasn't cutting it. But the wow. funny thing is I would go get the milk and then get a pack of Paul Malls for my father when I was <laughs> 10 years old. Which yeah. would be a felony nowadays. I mean, yeah. you know, for, for 35 cents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So here I'm walking out of, yeah, give me a gallon of milk and a pack of Paul Malls. I'm like 10 yeah. years old. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. You know, as, as an aside, you know, Mark, Rocky Marciano, Mark, Marciano was ahead of his time. He used to go with his buddy running up the hills, you know, where mm -hmm. he's from, and they would take a football. And yeah. his dad worked in a shoe factory and his dad made him these special boots to run in they're probably you know like cement blocks from compared to what people wear today but what they would do is they would jog and then marciano would sprint you know way ahead 20 yards catch a pass and the other guy would catch up then they jog a little more than rocky moss so he was doing interval training yep. which is perfect for boxing when everybody else was doing that yeah. long slow distance stuff so also the agility of catching the pass you know the yes. movement the, yes. the all of that the flow the yeah now and and, and 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 what it tells me is he hated just jogging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do we? I know I need to do it. So how do I do it? I said, well, for the football, man. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. That's Make, what it fun. Make it fun. That's what brothers right? do. Were you teamed up with your older brother and taking no, advantage none of, of your younger brothers? I bet you did. 
No, my mother could take care of all of us. I mean, <laughs> was, yeah. so Rocky Marciano, interesting story. I know the guy that lives in his house, a guy That's in Bro great. Brockton, Massachusetts. Yeah. I know the guy that owns the house, Rock. lives in it, yeah. and he has kept many of the features the same way. So I went down there once. Yeah. And he's showing me around and he's like, I go, can I take some pictures? He's like, yeah, yeah. I, I, this is Rocky Marciano's bathtub. And I'm like, man, he man. took a bath there. But that now getting so to nice. what you said, Jim, out in the backyard. Did you rub tree, the tub? Yeah, there's a tree <laughs> in the backyard that was there when Rocky lived there with his mother. Yeah. And you can still see where there's a where he had dug a hole. He used to go down in the hole and hit the heavy bag so his legs would be confined in an area. Ah. The other thing I think he did, he used to throw punches underwater. Yes, I know he did that. So yes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah Rocky a... Marciano, the Brockton, uh, you know, for he's, he's from Brockton, Brockton Massachusetts. Dollar. Now to, to go on what Marty was saying. Marvin Hagler, again, one of the greatest, yep. no doubt. He's from Brockton. He used to jog down in Cape Cod in Provincetown with army boots on on the sand dunes. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the of the the, the added, you know, intensity in that. So I mean it's interesting the how these great champions. Yeah. Yeah. Marty, you know, they're gonna come out with something, the latest and greatest thing running in the sand with you know, combat boots on, they're going to say they invented it on YouTube or something. You know, it's yeah. just funny. All this stuff, you know, the pulling the sleds or, you know, we used to push oh, the car. Yeah. I read Dick Buckus pushed a car. Yeah. I used to go push a car, you know, all this stuff and all this stuff's coming back. This is the, the new way to do things, man. We were doing all this stuff in the seventies. Marty was exactly. doing it you know, before then. So it's funny. Well, I pushed a car, but it wasn't by choice. Well, it is a funny clutch. <laughs> so, you, you, Jim, so you're right about all the things that people can be convinced as like as new things. So it's snowing today. We're getting like 10 inches of snow. Right. I often say to people, I wish I was a personal trainer because I would have all my clients come to my house, shovel my sidewalk yep. in my driveway, yep. pay me $50 an hour. And I <laughs> would just stand there and say, yep, yep. Keep going. That's good. That's keep good. And then I wouldn't have to shovel my driveway. Yep. You gotta, you gotta make them wear a heart rate. Though. You gotta make them wear a heart rate monitor. Yes, yeah, so I would do all that. Workout. <laughs> and maybe they could stand on an unbalanced, uh, you know, thing and and, yeah. and do the, the shovel my driveway. Well, yeah, my I wife, guarantee somebody's done that. Well, I'm gonna tell you right now. My wife and I strap up when we get snow, mm -hmm. and we take great pleasure in going out and beating the neighbors who have their snow machines. <laughs> yeah. Right. So we go out and we're like John Henry, you know, the steel driving man. And they've, got, they've all got their and we beat them every time. Yeah. When, when right. you look at it like sets and reps, it always works, man. Oh, and you and again, you've right, got to load Let's go, every, every shovel full. Ready. Every, sh every shovel full, right? Boom. is like whatever, three, four pounds, whatever. And as you get in, you get in 500 reps. Yeah. Think about the right. tonnage, the total tonnage. You, you, you look at the end of it and you know, oh, I, oh, I shoveled for 40, 45 minutes. Yeah. Uh, I burned 540 calories and my heart rate spiked at 170 when I was Marty, throwing that heavy stuff. You're not doing that straight though. So you're doing it like hit training, yeah, right? You're doing like right. two minutes on. No man. Twenty seconds off, something no, like that. No, you get in the pace and you get it done 
Right. Because you got to right. beat the machine. The Top machine the doesn't do interval training. You got to go. Boom, 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 boom. Are boom, you boom, using boom, grind boom, speed boom, or is this? Uh... Oh, you got to alternate. You alternate side to side and you use yeah. a lot of leg. Use a lot of leg and each rep and get under it. Right. You got to. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you, lads. Does anybody still, do kids go around neighborhoods and knock on doors and say, you want me to shovel your yard? Because we used to do that all the time. No, not my neighborhood. No. Did they do it when you were little? Yes. Everybody's got got a device now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know? I don't know if the kids want to do it either. uh, Well, now that's something we should talk to you about. What are you seeing in terms of the young guys coming up? Good question. Uh, I think the cultural evolution of technology and, uh, you know, life as we know it has really changed many. And I've been a cop for 42 years. I'll be going into my 43rd year next week. Um, you don't see uh, kids hanging around on corners anymore. You don't see um, them. Like when I was little, you couldn't drive down the street without interrupting a street hockey game. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, right. Or, there was or, nothing to do inside. No, so there doesn't seem to be that relationship of just as soon as you got out of school and went home, you changed and went out and you're playing with your yeah. buddies and then, yeah. you, you know, yeah. and then yeah, your, your, your mother would say, you better be home at five o'clock. And then, you know, yep. there was no idea. It's cold out. I mean, you know, you didn't want to be uh, – staying inside and well, I, 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 I don't again there was nothing to do there was nothing to do. There was, we had three yeah, channels right. you're, yeah you're right and because during the day it was all soap operas i mean right. yeah. what are you gonna do watch soap opera with your mother yeah and and when yeah. i came <laughs> up we had we had enough kids that we could have full football teams full baseball yes. teams we had some, and they'd be kids on the side waiting to get in. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then, yeah, and then the, the only thing on TV in the afternoon, I remember coming home like Merv Griffin or Mike Douglas or some <laughs> show like that. Douglas, and I'd be like, yeah, Mike Douglas. Yeah, so no, like, I got you. no interest in this. Plus, plus, like, you know, my mother would be like, "What are you doing in the house? Yeah, are you, you sick? Know, yeah. Are you sick? You know, something yeah. wrong with you?" Uh, so, Chief, yeah, when you didn't want to. You didn't want to be in there anyway because there was plastic covers on the couch and yeah, and you right. may have Welcome. to do some chores. Who wanted to sit around? Do- My mom was going to find something for me to do, so I'm yes. out of there, man. I'm yeah, out. No, so, no. So, Chief, no. when you yeah. got into the academy, um, you know, because we had more active lifestyles back then, I would imagine we were all kind of the general population was a bit more better suited to, to get into the academy, the academy and start to, you know, uh, training and they weren't so far behind in their physical fitness. Whereas now it might be different. And now, now there might be more academy preparation to get in shape because we have to use supplemental training because we're not getting that natural physical fitness, I think. I don't know what what's the difference between when you went in the academy and now the the shape of people that uh, you see and how they're getting prepared or what are you yeah. seeing? Um, the good thing about somebody again in, in my part of the country, 
when somebody wants to pursue a career in law enforcement as a city cop or a firefighter even, you've kind of taken some steps to maybe make that happen because, you know, we're in a civil service environment where you take a, a written examination, which is the police exam, and then you get, based on your score, you get put on, on a list. So you have kind of already said, I want to maybe pursue this career. So it's not like all of a sudden you get drafted, you know? So, to, uh, so if this is something that you have a desire for, you should already have this vision in your mind about the things that you have to do. Um, obviously, stay out of trouble. Don't make some devastatingly bad choices that are going to be disqualifying in your background check. Now, I want to say this. Nobody should create the illusion that you have to be a perfect human being to become a police officer because the requirement is that we draw from humanity. So with all of our flaws, frailties, and weaknesses, but there are some things that are devastating to the process if you've made such a horrific bad choice that, you know, you, you, you couldn't be hired. So, you know, so stay out of trouble, you know, stay in some level of, of, of fitness. But as you guys know better than I, if somebody told you three months from now, you had to be in good enough shape to pass Right. A fit you you could pull it off, you know, especially in the idea of cardiovascular, like how fast can you run a mile, and and and, and so on the entry level, there's a, a physical uh, agility assessment that's done to see if you are eligible to. Uh, let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. Have they had to dumb down the, the standards? Uh, the standards have. Well, I'll tell you, when I went to the academy, there wasn't a physical uh, fitness test other than a physical with a doctor. Well, OK, it, from the time it, it, from the time they from the time they established, a, a, you know, the official benchmark testing. Yeah. Uh, to the to the present, do, did they have to lower were the standards higher back in the old days or the same or lower? back in the old days it's almost funny marty there's almost been a push pull when i went when i went to the academy it was maybe 12 weeks now it's six months wow with a with a different emphasis on the societal changes things like domestic violence dealing with those with mental challenges when, when i went to the academy those societal problems although they existed there was not as much emphasis on preparing police officers for that back in that era. And before that, you know, the idea was that, you know, we'll, we'll put you out there and you're going to learn the job through some mentoring by people that already were cops. Now it's a six month endeavor where they're going over things, you know, particularly in, in this day and age, things like de-escalation, things like, yeah. how you deal with uh, people in, in, in mental crisis. So while they have maybe lowered some of the emphasis on uh, physicality, physicality, 
I'm not saying that. No, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I'm, again, I, I, you, just to show you, gentlemen, how much I listen to you. The segment that you had about get out of bed strength yeah. res- resonated <laughs> yeah. with me, clever, resonated right? with me, That's because you know, let, let's say this. I love that. Have I, have I ever been in a foot chase with a criminal that lasted more than a mile? No. Right. No. It's a, it's a sprint. In Marty, I got to yeah. tell you, when you told us that it had been a long time since you had done a full-blown sprint like when you were a little kid, <laughs> I'm the same way. I'm the same way. No, no, but but you know, I would say though, if you asked a lot of people, when was the last time you really sprinted? Yeah, they haven't. Yeah, they've almost Chief. forgotten it. Now Chief, we have a Chief, saying Ma- on the Chief, police. Chief, yeah. may I just interject? And I'll, if I yeah. could just tell that story in a, in less than a minute. Yeah, uh, I had been a good runner. I was a power runner. Yeah. Uh, in in school and good runner ran all the time um, very good sprinter for especially because I had short legs I'm a short leg guy so I have to have a fast turnover so uh, I don't know ten years ago and I'm you know I'm still I'm sixty mid sixties then sixty two sixty three and, and I had a dog uh it was my daughter's dog that i was dog watching i guess and i took the dog out back and the dog got away from me right just took off sprinting toward the back of the yard where we have an alleyway and there was a some guy coming down the alleyway he's a fine guy some neighborly kind of looking guy but he's got some little puppy dog so my dog of course Jumps on the little puppy dog, and they go scrambling, scrambling, around, 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 around. So I got to go get this damn dog. And I went to take my first step, and I was like the Tin Man and the Wizard of Oz, brother. Yeah. Before he got oiled up, it was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And and I had been out for years. I had been doing my little jog thing, you know, at the park, you know, you kind of jog around, you know, jog, 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 you know, 70, 75%. So I thought I can run when I have to. No, it is different. When you yeah. got to go all out. And I, I later had a doctor, Chris Hardy, explain it to me. He said, oh, yeah. So you've got a gobly tendon reflex inhibition. If you haven't gone past a certain level in something, uh, it's that old phrase, use it or lose it. Yeah, it's the said principle. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and, I, I, I don't want to intermit your flow, but I just wanted to tell you, it was like, I, and I assumed, oh yeah, I'm a great runner. Yeah. I've got that. I'm ready to go. And that so was like, yeah, you're, you're a great runner in 1972. Yeah. Your, your, <laughs> your mind and your body just don't jive after a while. No, you know, but I got that. But you know, I got it back. I got it back. Yeah. I got it back. Now that's why we have a saying on the police that you can't un- outrun the radio. So <laughs> if, if, if I'm, you know, calling that's in good. a warrant check on Marty Gallagher, and they say, "Oh yeah, that he's got one oh, yeah. uh, on him. He didn't pay a parking ticket when he lived oh, in Cambridge." Yeah. Now, I know my you know, limitations, so before I get out of the car to go walk up to Marty Gallagher, I'm probably going to call some colleagues and say, "Start heading this way," yeah. and if Marty Gallagher all of a sudden starts sprinting. I get on the radio and I say he is running north he's, on Mass Ave. He's been drinking again. He's been drinking again. <laughs> but that's kind of, but but that's like, you know, 
you know, you, you, you look at what is functional to the job. Right. Yeah. It, is it important? Yeah, I guess cardiovascular, obviously, there's nothing detrimental about having someone conditioned no. enough that they can no. go up and run five no. to 10 miles. But, it's wonderful. you know, should we also be looking at, at weight training? You know, that's why when you had Hendo on, who's a dear friend of a good friend of mine, um, and he talked about deadlifting means that I can carry you away from danger. Yeah. Yep. So the idea of, of applying the knowledge that all you gentlemen have to something that could save a life or protect a life or preserve a life is what, you know, is incredible. That's why when you were saying, okay, how much can you bench if somebody just said, get on that bench and do it right now? I right mean, now, or, right or is it even no warm up? Right. Is it even practical? Because that's that's a, a stable piece of weight. I mean, how about a, somebody that's on top of you now that weighs 370 pounds? Oh and, and you know, so the idea of 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 taking your own safety and the safety of the public uh, to a level that you uh, fully, you know, live up to. I, I think you have to look at it that way. That's why I will tell you this. Currently. I can speak for my department, but beyond, it's very inspiring to see the number of cops on my job and beyond who are looking at things like jujitsu, yeah. looking at things yeah. like judo, looking at things like functional strength, looking at things like going on an assault bike and realizing that's probably the co closest replication of getting an, in an intense struggle with somebody in having to survive for 45 seconds or beyond, which will seem like the longest time of your life when you're calling for help. But I do find from some experience and knowledge that if you get into one of those brutally spontaneous get out of bed strength exertions, especially when it's, it's resisting you know, a, a, a subject who's actively fighting you, they might wear down too. If oh, yeah. you're better than they are, because yeah, they're not trained athletes. Well, but let me say this. I always remind my officers, I go, there's a gym in my city, Total Performance Systems. It's very, you'd love the place. You, it's, it's the culture and environment <laughs> you love. No, it, 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 it is traditional strength, traditional powerlifting, what have you. Right. I always tell people, I saw somebody in that gym that you never would have bet can deadlift 600 pounds. Yep. So yeah. if you went on a call with that person, you've got a call, there's a shoplifter in a place, or the, the, he's in a place, the, uh, a bar room, they want him to leave. You ever underestimate somebody like that, you are in for yeah. a big, big uh, surprise. And he just smoked a giant joint of PCP. Yeah. Or, or it's, or he's a good man, and it's the worst day of his life. Yeah. Almost like that movie with Michael Douglas, I think, was falling down, where a yeah. person's life had just piled on him to the point he snapped, and and that the next person that told him what he had to do was going to be the 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 source of, of, of his uh, anger. Now, then you take people, I you know, I just said, I've had many times, or other any cop. You walk up to somebody and say, all right, buddy, you're coming with me. And, and you put your hand on his wrist and you're like, whoa, that is a forearm that I have never felt before. 
Yeah, like say you guys were to pull over like a Kirk Kowalski or something, uh, you know, yeah, and you're yeah. by yourself. I, I, yeah, I, I had a, I worked with a super heavyweight guy, Joey, one time, and this is a, I don't know, 5'10, 340 pound guy, but very athletic. And um, <clears throat> he grabbed my wrist one time and just was smiling at me. And you know how usually you, you know, you can do that, that, that judo thing and pull through the thumb, right? You know, you just, you just wrench through the thumb and pull through. It wasn't happening. He held my wrists like they were in two vices, right? Yeah. He was so much stronger than me and I'm strong guy at the time, right? I'm strong, but he was like, no, no, no. And it's like, okay, I guess I could kick him, you know, but, uh, it, you know, there are guys like that out there. Oh, I mean, I, 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 I can remember, you know, taking somebody, you grab their upper arm, like tricep, and you're like, whoa, I, 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 you know, at that moment, this is substantial. I mean, this like a tricep, but then take somebody that doesn't have that. They're not advertising that you have other people that you people know better than I that are brutally strong. It don't even look like it. I mean, Man. yeah. I mean, they've got training a, behind that, like martial arts or whatever, on yeah, top of all a, that. Um, or, yeah. or, or military. Yeah, one. that's what I was going to say. So we had, there's a guy on a group that we work with. He's still active and he looks like, you know, Mr. Peepers. I mean, yeah. And if you a talk clerk, to the other guy, he looks like a clerk at Lowe's. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, yeah the guy in the jacket at Home Depot that I asked where the yeah. screws are. Yeah. Yep. And, Chief, he is, and everybody you talk to in the squadron, they're like, oh, don't mess with him. He's a bad man. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You know, and he, he's slightly balding. And I don't know, Marty, 5'8", freaking yeah, 170, yeah. pulls 5'20". Yeah, he deadlifts 5'20", yeah. jumps out of, yeah. you know, just, you know, you never know. And he'll, kill you, with the, and he'll kill you with the pen in his pocket. Yeah, and no, he's the nicest. He's, thank you. Thank you, Coach Steele. Thank you. <laughs> Well, you know what? You know what was funny. I was talking to Hendo one time. He's telling me about all these road rage situa situations he gets in. Not oh, he's not doing it. It gets done on him. And I, I go, well, your driving must suck because you're always telling me about these road rage situations. He goes, no, man, people are a holes out there on the road, and I just try to let people go through. And he has people pulling him over, trying to pull him over. And I, oh, I said, God, if they only imagine. knew who that was. It's it's one of it's one of the challenges that all police officers face because it can be potentially fatal to ever underestimate anyone. Yeah, you can. And the tactics that police use, there's a disconnect with the public that resents when they see a police officer maybe in a bladed stance when I say your firearm is away from the person. If I'm going to be talking to you, I would turn away so that you couldn't grab my weapon. And a lot of people, again, and the thing that's, I understand this thing. Because if I'm talking to you because whatever our interaction is, it's not like a, a big felony or what have you. And people resent sometimes, like, why, why did you turn away that you, you, you made me feel like I was a bad, bad person? You know, and there's this sense of that the police shouldn't take measures that protect themselves unless something really bad happens. But if you do that, you've waited too long. Yeah, so right. you, you, you can't underestimate 
a situation, but you can't overcompensate for it. Okay, okay, but so what's the solution? I mean, that's great. You described both sides of the problem perfectly. What's the the, the, the thesis antithesis? What's the synthesis? The solution is ride-alongs, Chief. Take take more of the public on ride-alongs. Yeah. We'll see. No, and I, I, I would say that one of the good things that has happened over the past uh, two or three years of the, uh, the narrative that has, you know, dominated the uh, role of police in society, I think the only way to uh, mitigate that or make progress is by letting more people know who we are and what we do. Now, mm-hmm. I would okay. say this to anyone. I, I, the, the, if Arresting a resisting person, I do not care if they weigh 100 pounds, if they actively are saying, I am not putting my hands behind my back, it is not pretty in order to accomplish that. There are things that we do now that, you know, again, talking about people that know jujitsu and pressure points and things of that nature um, can lessen the amount of, of force needed, but the fact remains there are times when police have to do their job in a way that the public is either unaware of or unwilling to put themselves realistically in, in that position. But police, again, have to be prepared for every uh, possibility. And when you come to the issue of safety, I, I do hear resentment from people who are innocent people. They're, they're, they're not bad people, but they draw the wrong conclusion when a police officer on a traffic stop walked up to the car in a bladed stance, put the flashlight on them and, and was, you know, they, 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 they drew a, a conclusion that was contrary to what the police officer's intention was, which was for their safety and the safety of the person they were encountering. But I do know that police officers nowadays have more things available to them more training available to them, more resources available to them. So when I talk about officers understanding the jujitsu, judo, uh, functional training, being stronger, being resilient can help you in that moment when you need it the most, that get out of bed strength or that dad strength thing that you talk about. Um, Chief, let me ask you something. Let, let me ask you something real quick. When it comes to training, whether it's resistance training, jujitsu, anything, is it every man for himself? You know, all the cops, it's whatever they want to do. Do they have to go outside yeah. the, uh, the station or, or does the police department uh, support that and offer certain things? And is it is it a national thing? Is it a regional thing? Is, it, is every police department different? How does it work? Uh, that's a beautiful question. Uh, question uh it pretty much is up to each individual city however there are some places that have been more forward thinking i believe it might be one of the more renowned uh, jiu-jitsu uh training families in the world has offered it to some police departments as a pilot program and those departments have seen a dramatic reduction in the number of violent encounters between the police and resisting subjects that resulted in injury to the person. So, but within like, say my agency, most police departments in America nowadays have a gym. Okay. So there is at least some recognition to fitness and wellness and places have decided that they're going to go with gyms. I mean, they're not probably full blown, you know, 
powerlifting facilities or things like that, but there's right. some emphasis on cardio and resistance training. So that's a good thing. There are others, though, who on their own because of motivation will then, you know, go to a, a, a gym that maybe supplies more of uh, diverse equipment. Then you have offices that go toward the idea of judo, jiu-jitsu, uh, th things like that, because they've been in situations when they've touched that person's forearm and said, whoa, what do I do here? Um, so that has been a, a big help. The whole idea maybe uh, of nutrition. You know, when I, when I, police officers, hours are bad. They work overnight. Places aren't open. You, you see police officers in my area. It's a very difficult thing not to start to gain weight unless you work at it. Because, you know, overnight work, the, I guess cortisol and all those other physiological yeah. things yeah. take place. Yeah. They're not good for you. So Chief. there's a lot of things that you're combating. And uh, But I will Chief. say one of the things that's helped Chief. us. Yeah. If I could interject. Yeah. Um, the big part of the reason that a lot of the military decided to work with us, and we've been working with them for a long time, is they encounter a lot of the same problems you just described. Right. Mm -hmm. Bad nutrition, bad hours, stress, uh, danger. Right. Yeah. Uh, and they brought us in and what we introduced to them was, I think, twofold. Number one, this idea that they can get better results for less time. Yeah. Number one, that was huge for the military because they're like, they came to us and they're like, we understand strength training. We love strength training, but we don't have any time when we're stateside. Now, when they're deployed, they have all the time in the world. Great. That's when we expand the volume, you know, open it up. That's great. But when they're time pressed, we show them how they can get maximal results from training one time a week for an hour. Now, during the week, should they do some cardio? Great. If you can. But I think the nutrition thing that you mentioned is huge. Yeah. And yeah. what we emphasize with them is everyone has some foods that they consume that are acceptable and the idea is let's heavy up on those acceptable foods get satiated with them to the expense and start taking out the pringles and the you know the ice cream <laughs> yeah i mean it's criminal that no no pun intended that these police uh, <laughs> good that's good yeah, very good one wasn't it that that <laughs> these guys don't have strength coaches, you know, and they don't have a nutritionist. I mean, hmm. when we go to and, train the military and the stress and the stress relief. Yeah. Why don't they have a flotation tank? Why don't they, what are we doing here? Why, why wouldn't right. we make them the best possible police officer they can be? Because when you're just going in there, you know how it is. You're just going in there. You don't, you sort of know what you're doing, but how about if we had a plan? How about if we had a nutrition plan? How about if we had somebody you could consult with along with, you know, I know they have uh, all kinds of therapists and things like that when you when you get in situations, um, you know, out there right. on the streets. But how about the physical therapy part? I mean, <laughs> it doesn't make much sense if you think about it, that, that you know, half of the whole equation, mental and physical, that we're not addressing the physical in a professional manner, you know? No, you, you, you hit the nail on the head there, Jim, because I think it's uh, it's. 
he doesn't, you know, own this idea himself, but like Jocko Willink, uh, you know, well-known sure. person, he said that police officers around the country should spend 20% of their time training. Yeah. Now, the way it is now, I mean, you, once you're a, a, an officer, you come to work and you go out into your assignment, whether it be patrol or whatever unit you're working in. They really, I don't know, they could exist in some very, very forward-thinking agencies to dedicate you know, for every five shifts somebody works, have one of them totally devoted to some element of training. Right. Uh, Mandatory. And it's mandatory. Yeah. yeah, And, 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 you know, your your work in the special operations community, you're dealing with people who the expectation is when the worst things happen, they have to be in the best position to perform as perfectly as possible. Well, that's what people expect from their police every day. And I'm not saying it's an unreasonable but, but, expectation but, but, or a hope. Well, it is. It but, is cheap because cheap. It is because they don't spend millions of dollars on each individual like they do in the spec yeah. ops community. Right. Right. Yeah, right. they're always cutting. Those they're guys cutting. are like those guys are like MBA athletes, right? I mean, yes. they're yeah. by the time they by the time they get to the level that we're dealing with them, there's a lot of money been spent on these guys. Gross. And, and, the, and they are a very small percentage of they, they're almost like, you know, something when you, you remember there's like uh, break glass in case of an emergency and take this out. That's yeah. not, not it's not yeah. it's not something that is utilized every day. But police officers right now in this country are going to like I think there's six hundred thousand nine one one calls per day. So. Every part of this country right now, whether it be the biggest cities or the smallest remote areas, there's a police officer who is the person who's responding to, to calls. And, and, you know, uh, are they really is our investment after the academy suited right. to keep them at a level of training and uh, ability that serves them best and yeah. serves the, the, the community that, that has that high you know, expectation. And again, I got a buddy, I got a buddy who's a police officer currently and, you know, SWAT team, all that stuff. And also, you know, beat cop. And I said, told him about Hendo's program, you know, the de-escalation, the handling, you know, large, he said, no, we'd have to pay for it out of our own pockets to have him in. (laughs) You have to pay for your own training. He goes, go to the gun range, anything we have to do. It's considered extra. We have to pay for it out of our own pockets. And so yeah, I'm thinking, it, how about starting these guys off, you know, behind the the, the lead racer? That's what they're doing. You know, we're starting yeah. guys a lap behind. Right. It, Chief, is that starting to change with the atmosphere? No, it ain't been, changing. They want to defund us. They want I, to I know, us. but but because of that, is the atmosphere starting to change where the cops are starting to get more uh, support for things like this? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I would say, uh, you know, again, the narrative that has gone on has not been totally, uh, you know, misguided. But, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. Police respond to an awful lot of people in mental health crisis. And what we don't bring with that is a clinical background in, you know, mental health. So what a lot of agencies are doing are realizing that we need more of a hands-on immediate relationship with clinicians to be at calls or, mm-hmm. or, or to follow up with repeat uh, instances of people that are, are acting out. So 
the idea that there's certain roles that the police are called into that may be a better suited by someone else, there's a little bit, bit of a balance there. If somebody is threatening to jump off a bridge, I don't think we need to say, okay, let's send a mental health clinician. We need we need a cop to get there right away to make sure that they don't, you know, jump off the bridge. And don't the send, we can don't deal with send, that. Don't send Clint Eastwood. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> but but I, 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 I think in the conversation, when you look at situations that police have been traditionally been called to respond to, that maybe they are not the right one, they have still you know, had to go. So there's been a reevaluation of the priority of that. But then I also think there's been a great reevaluation of things like uh, tactics. Now, you know, you know, it's interesting. You gentlemen know better than anybody you know, leverage, flexibility. So if I go to a call and I'm by myself at that moment and I assess the situation with somebody who is far beyond my ability to contain or control or whatever, I have to use verbal skills maybe. I have to de-escalate. I have to buy some time. You know, so if you if you load up on any one priority that, I'm only going to be physically strong. Yeah. I'm only going to be capable right. in, in, in a certain weapon. I'm only going to be, you know, rely on those things. As you gentlemen know, when things go wrong, because, you know, I think it was Dwight Eisenhower said, all plans go out the window on contact with the enemy. Right. So you have to kind of, I, I remember one of the best like management classes I ever went to when I'm, I'm only a high school graduate was when I was in charge of the drug unit. And, uh, you know, we would do, uh, you know, operations with surveillance, undercover buys, and sometimes the officer would wear a, a body wire for safety. And when we used to plan these things, I used to always have to say, okay, let's plan that the wire is not going to work. Right. Because yeah. if we don't, and the cop is in the car with the bad guy, and the wire is not working, what do we say? Oh, okay, time out. Let's give him another wire. Right. So, you know, it's like anything, you, you, you gentlemen, you know, there's a lot of things in life that, that connect like a lift. Could something be a little bit unpredictable when it's going, you can't just say I'm not doing, you know, I guess you can, but you know what I'm getting at? Yes. The, the, those sure. unexpected nuances that it wasn't perfect. Now, what do I do? So, well, ready for anything. Yeah. You know, so, so those are the things that, you know, police have got to be, you know, maybe more, they're more aware of those things. Maybe now DS, I, I went on a call last night with my, my special operations unit. Uh, the goal was to get the gentleman out of the house, get him to comply. So that's when you use crisis negotiations and, 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 and things like that to try to minimize, you know, you, you gentlemen know better than anyone. You teach someone how to lift efficiently how to move a heavy weight. It's not, the weight's still the same, but you can teach people to move that weight in a way that is more efficient by utilizing leverage and, and, and positioning and muscles that they didn't even know could come into play if they just moved their hand or their uh, knee a little bit. So Chief, taking Chief, all those things are, Chief, are helpful. Yeah. Chief, could I interject? I think also another aspect of it is that if if you have a, a healthier, fitter, stronger individual 
making the decisions, mm -hmm. right? I, I, I think the outcomes are demonstrably better. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Chief. The, the, the blend you need, though, is the also the ability to know when to de-escalate and, uh, you know, that's when the, that's you, when you, you, that's, you, that's, you that's when that's when you hire Hendo, who's made a, a, a life study of this for 20 years. And, and he talks at length about it. And, and it's, it's so interesting. He says it's so easy to get jacked up and do yeah. bad things, but it's it's an art form to be able to de-escalate. And he's got all these great yeah. stories about plastic yeah. examples of that. And it's it, it, to me, it's mind-blowing that someone like that, like him with his, his experience, isn't in high demand instead of, and I don't mean to be dismissive, but, you know, some psychologist from Alcorn State. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's mind blowing to me because he is he is a wealth of that kind of real world. Oh, everybody's got AK-47s. Now, let's be cool. Yeah. yeah. He's got some great stories on his website, too. And for anybody who wants to go see Mr. Hendo's website, it's four pillar, <coughs> excuse me, four pillars collective.com. And he's got a story about just that. And I think they were over in Afghanistan or something back when well, uh, he, he told the story when he was with us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, that, that one, that one resonated me. Him and his team were doing one side of the street yep. and things were going good. Yep. The other yep. side of the street, things didn't go so well. Blown yep. up. And I found an analysis. You say, well, what, why didn't that go that well? I mean, could we have done something else? And I often find look at the confident man who was in charge of the guys on the right. left. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure, Chief, it's different when you're out there versus a first year guy. You know what I mean? Like you've seen it all. So, you know, you can you can put your arm around him and say, hey, listen, let's this is how we do this. You know, this is how we don't make a big deal out of this. I, I will say that that's another good thing. Uh, the idea of maybe looking at things that happen. I mean, it, it's it's. It's helpful in a way, but in another way, it's a little bit uh, difficult. Nowadays, there's a video of everything. Yeah. There's a video of every police encounter, whether it be through body cameras or surveillance cameras or people with, with their phones. They are helpful because you can see how a situation evolved, deteriorated, or ended up with a favorable result, but kind of stop it and, and have a discussion. Okay. What did you? What do you think's going on right here? What do you think they could have done differently? And yeah. I, 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 I think it's a mistake sometimes in life when you always look at things and say, "Well, I wasn't there, so I can't judge." Well, I mean, let, let's be real. I mean, we ask we ask football referees to go under the hood to look at things on video to see if they got it right or wrong. So, I mean, let, let's in the same standard that we look at things, let's look at it at what we have available to us to understand why things maybe maybe went right. I mean, you, 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 in the stress of the moment, I'm not blaming any, but you see, I've done it myself probably, you know, we're going up in, in a bad situation and one person's yelling, get on the ground. Another guy's yelling, stand up and put your hands up. So the, 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 the perspective of the subject is something that we have to understand where some uniform approach uh, will probably be less confusing, less uh, highly charged, and maybe cause things maybe to 
slow down a little bit and uh, and, 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 and let everybody kind of you know you know we we have time. Not every situation police get into requires an immediate response. Now there are some that are unavoidable. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who could be against what you just said? I don't know, because I will tell you this, you know, this means a lot to me. You know, I was down in New York City last month with my brothers on the NYPD. I got a lot of friends on the NYPD. I went to two funerals, Officer Rivera and Officer Mora, two great young cops, walked into a domestic situation, walked down a hall with the best intention. Both were uh, shot and killed. One of them, one of them, before he died, donated all of his organs. So there's five people alive today because of him. Five people are alive today because his family decided that his legacy should be, I, I am here to save life. I am here to preserve life. But when you, when you, when you look at these situations, this means a lot, a, a lot to me because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not naive. I'm not going to stand here and defend police misconduct. I'm not here to defend the behavior of someone that maybe shouldn't have been hired to begin with, or maybe shouldn't have been retained when things were starting to go wrong. I'm not, I'm not here to defend that. But what I am here to defend is the nobility of what people do. I mean, your, your show is about strength. One of the strongest people I know is a lady in my city whose husband was murdered as a cop in 1963 in a robbery, and she has carried herself with the greatest dignity, resolve, and strength, strength in its purest form, its purest form. There's nothing better than that. Nothing better. Than, and you, you, you know, strength has a lot of definitions. How much can you lift? But you gentlemen know more than anything. There's other things that, 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 that bear down on people in life. And yeah. that, that's a form of strength, yeah. too. There are people that we respect who have overcome, you know, what the, the, the definition of a bad day today, I don't even know what it is anymore. Yeah. It's somebody got to go on Instagram or whatever they call it. Oh, uh, what a day. They didn't have almond milk at Starbucks. How am I going to survive? I mean, hey, hey chief. Hey, chief. What about chief? What about chief training now, Jay? Well, wait a minute. Like, what's a bad day? You know, Marty, you were talking about you hadn't sprinkled. I haven't either. But you know what? You know what? Chief, I got my hand up. I'll tell you something that reminded me of the sprinting story. I knew two people in my city, the Fishmans, Holocaust survivors in Poland. They lived in a hole for 18 months because the family let them stay hidden in their backyard. They never came out of that hole. 18 months later, when they came out, they had to relearn how to walk. Yeah, right. So that, you know, that that's a, don't tell me you're having a bad day. You that's know, a I, lot of bad days. Well, Chief, Chief, what about just... I'm sorry, JP. Are you going to ask about his training? Because I think that's, I, I, I am. And it ties yeah. into what you're going to ask about. Well, I was just saying now, you know, uh, not that you're an advanced age, but now that you've come into your 60s, what's your training like to stay ready for the situations that you may uh, that you may encounter? Um, all right. Well, to go uh, with Marty, I, I, I do believe in Clint Eastwood, who's saying uh, a man's got to know his limitations. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> So I have no illusion that there are things that I uh, probably yeah. can't do as well as I used to. However, I will say over the past years, my emphasis has been more toward uh, 
being more lean. The heaviest I've ever been is like maybe 212, 215. Oh, yeah, I mean, now, good, now I'm around height. 185, uh, 187. Oh, yeah, you're, oh, you're doing good. So I'll tell you the thing, though, that, again, because of your show, I had, I had some back injuries at work get, get in, in the 90s, L4, L5 herniations and things like <clears> do you that. Know Dr., do you know Dr. Raymond Chow? I visited him. I went down there because of your show. Ryan Chow. Yeah. <laughs> I know that. No, that, so that what happened about, this was, is great. This is a great no, story. JP, no, you made this happen, right? Yeah, no, this is happen. no, this is awesome. Yeah. This is awesome. The chief and I have talked extensively on this because he's basically got went through the same exact thing with his back that I did. And it's it's funny because he did how, how he did you, treated how did it you, the same how did you two got, how did you two guys get onto the subject? Uh, uh oh, I know. I know just so, talking on the phone and just talking yeah. about training and stuff. Yeah. You were telling me what you were avoiding. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I so, did the same thing. So go ahead. Uh, yeah, so, tell your story. Yeah. so on the heels of, of like Marty talking about little things like his awareness that he hadn't really sprinted until, you know, that became aware to him. And then when you had Ryan on yeah. and then you, you, you gentlemen keep bringing up, the, 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 the idea that these core strength movements are very foundational to like, like wellness. Now, yeah. when I hurt my back the first time in the early 90s, the L4, L5, there was some herniation. I've never felt worse pain in my life, not being able to get out never. of bed. Never. And back then they told you, get up, get a board, put it under your bed, lay on the floor, don't move. Uh, and then when a doctor explains, a neurologist, Okay, this is what a disc herniation is. It comes out, it touches the nerve. That your disc used to be like yogurt, and now they get a little less resilient. And I'm like, oh man, so that means you really can't compress the disc. That's the worst thing in the world. If you wanna, don't be laying on the floor. Watch, work around your back. You know, avoid things, which I guess you know that's some relevance to that. But avoidance to the point of complete, you know, fear. I will say fear is the thing. I, I was afraid to hurt it again. And every now and then I would. Something as simple as grabbing yes. a salt shaker. It, it's, it's unpredictable. Yeah. So, you, you, you created a, 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 an Achilles heel. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. But I thought I was still, I thought it was the only option because it made sense to me. Like, yeah, don't right. compress the disc. So I would work around it. I mean, you do bent. One arm rows on a on a bench, you know. There's no, no so uh, all, all those things that you you could do. I was avoiding the other stuff. So then, when you had Ryan Chow on, and he was talking about what he had learned from you, that's the thing I like about this is you're a source of wisdom to somebody else who has wisdom. Why? So the, the cross pollination that exists is 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 outstanding. So. One of the things, I mean, maybe it's a skill I have from work, investigating or detective stuff. I'm like, and it's just my nature. I said, I'm going to try to reach out to them. So I got an email address. I reached out to, to JP. We had a conversation. He told me about his story with his and his daughter and Ryan Chow. I said, I go to Manhattan with some regularity. Uh, it's only three and a half hours by train. 
He connected me with Ryan. He could not have been more accommodating or gracious or engaging with his time on the phone. And then I went down and, and, and saw him. And I got to tell you, it was revealing to have somebody with his knowledge and expertise and his uh, the way he or the way about him to, to look and identify and I investigate flaws, flaws and weaknesses. And when people start running down the young generation, I think of him. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. You, 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 you're right about that, Marty, because, you know, it's very easy to say, ah, oh, this world we're in today. Uh, come on. You know, everybody says, oh, this is the worst time in the history of uh, really. We had a civil war once. I mean, we had we, we, we had, you know, like the Holocaust. We had, you know, the Second World War. I mean, there's always been crisis. I mean, we'll, we'll be we'll get to it. And, and I again, there's young people right now. 18, 19, 20 years old that are serving their country. There's people like Ryan who, uh, you know, there's great examples Chief, of, 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 of good things. Chief, I think the biggest revelation here for you and I, because it's it's funny how exact our stories were. I mean, we had the same back injury. We avoided these certain lifts, uh, you know, the squat, the deadlift, uh, shrugs that compressed, uh, the discs. So it was funny because we had the rest of our body was strong and fit, but our yep. lower back and core was, you know, as weak as a kitten. Yep. And I, I remember when my back would blow out and, and it's funny the my back originally blew out. I wasn't even doing anything. I was sitting in my office chair, not moving. And I heard and felt something pop and I was done after that. I could, I felt my back swell up. I couldn't move. Um, I had to go to the emergency room and I got, uh, I got x-rayed. Of course, they can't see the disc, but they can see the spacing between your vertebrae. And they said, you they could tell by that my discs were compressed. So I did the whole MRI thing and all that. And my doctor says, are you going to keep lifting? And I said, yeah, but I'm going to do it differently. And he just shook his head. He felt I shouldn't be lifting at all. So I avoided just like you and yep. let my lower back and my core just waste away and I was so susceptible uh, in in real life, just picking up anything, a bag of dog food or, or anything, or in the gym, I had to be very careful with how I picked up dumbbells and plates and things like that. And I thought, well, this is how I'm going to have to, this is how it's going to be. So cheek in you your armor, cheek right, in your exactly. armor. Exactly. Big time, a, a big uh, weak link there. So the we had Brian Chow, on and, and chief listened to him. We talked about it. It was the same exact thing. I said, you got to go see Ryan because what I've done since then, and this was probably last, this is almost a year I've been now deadlifting and squatting. I have no more back pain. My back is strong. I, I'm not worried anytime I, I lean over, bend over to pick up something, or if I'm out working in the garage or whatever, uh, it's just, I've got my lower back back now. My, my <laughs> how, physique how is long, complete how now. Have, how long had you been afflicted? Uh, probably at least 10, 12 years wow. th that I was avoiding the deadlift and, and squatting all this stuff. And wow. now I got it back and it just took the right person giving me the right knowledge and the right experience. So chief, so you went down and, and uh, talked with Ryan and you spent yep. the day with him. So talk, talk about that. He assessed you. What happened? 
So it was humbling right out of the, the, the gate. So we go out onto the gym floor. He's got an excellent facility there in, in, in Manhattan. And, uh, you know, he has me take my uh, gym. Don't yell at me. He, he has take your uh, track sneakers off. So uh, <laughs> I, I had them on. I took them off and I'm in my biff. I'm in my socks. And we start off with something that seemed like should be easy. It was, I think, uh, close your eyes, raise one of your legs and count. And then, you know, he's, he's looking at your stability, I guess. And I was, I was shocked at how uh, difficult it was to keep your foot in a position before it had to come down on the ground. You know why? Because you hadn't done it. Right. And you it was practice. showing him. You got to practice that kind of stuff, right? I mean, you get good at it. It's like, and you never think about it. But now it's like, I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. And I think it was showing him areas of maybe uh, within my, you know, it, this was the first thing he did. So imbalances. He was showing him imbalances. Yeah. It yeah, sounds like a sobriety right test to me. I think he was just messing with you. There <laughs> no, the no. It's funny you yeah. say that because no, I, I said that to him. I said, man, if this was a field sobriety test, I mean, I, I, I'd be doomed. Uh, so, so, so then, you know, then he would move me over. So he'd get on the floor and he would sit across from me and he would ask me to see how much I could do a certain like um, movement with my torso and he's, he's making, you know, assessments as he's doing it. And then he would look at the weakness and then find ways to trigger some uh, response that would activate muscles that would help, you know, overcome that deficiency. So we did this for a, a, a good period of time. I, I would say an hour and a half to two hours. And as we're going along, he's identifying things he's you know he sat down with me and, and went over a great amount of, of background and history of injuries and lifestyle and and but i will say the thing that was you know humbling and lightning but i also say i mean if 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 you look you might you might think you're in good shape until somebody points out well okay you you could be worse but you could also be better yeah. stand on stand on one foot yeah, I mean, and then, you know, he's talking about, like, he showed me some uh, versions of plank exercises that, you know, are, are activating certain, you know, muscles that probably are dormant or, or, or not used by most people's yep. lifestyle. Because it's not like you're talking to somebody who's completely sedentary. I don't spend a lot of time in the office. I'm very active about walking and things like that. So, I mean, I could see somebody that maybe was bedridden for a long period of time, you know, having atrophy and, and, and things like that. And you're, but, and, you're, and you're not weighing 255, okay? No. So, so to have these things uh, revealed by somebody who I absolutely trusted from having listened to him on your show and, and sensing what he was all about through the, the, the visit was, you know, Something that, you know, he, I have great trust in what he said. I have great uh, respect for his passion. He has a, a real passion for what he's doing. He, he yeah, think that, yeah. for young good fire. reason. The, the, the young fire, right? Yeah, and for good reason, though, he looks up to you as mentors. I, that, that's another good thing. Mm -hmm. yeah, there's a difference. Sometimes you have somebody who's an up-and-comer who thinks that somebody from the past doesn't have relevance or, or maybe 
you know, uh, that the, 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 their level of knowledge has been so enhanced that, uh, you know, it, it's not relevant. He looks up to you, gentlemen, and anyone, I think. He's open-minded, I think, to learn from anyone that can lead him on his his hope and his mission to make people feel better. And I I, I know you guys well, talk a lot yeah. about the uh, – we, we, have, we have that same mission, which you just said. Yeah. Now, I, I even I, I know sometimes listening to you, uh, lads, uh, you say you have these T-shirt slogans. So I gave Ryan <laughs> one and I, I gave the copyright up. Uh, I said the, the goal uh, now I'm older. So I said the goal is longevity, not longevity. Well, that's, good. that's good. Yeah. That's so good. He, he, he's, he's I gave the copyright mm -hmm. up. There is no right to have that. He has it. So did he know after your after your assessment was done, because I, I told you, I don't know if you guys had time to do it, or I said, look, have him teach you the proper deadlift, the proper squat, all this, because he does it exactly like Marty teaches. You know, I think he even calls them Marty squats. Um, so did you guys have time to go through the technique and things like that? Yeah, and I, I think to his uh, credit, he, he knew that there was still some apprehension on my part, but we did the the deadlifting with, with a, a dumbbell that was, uh, you know, made vertical, you know, you know, what I'm getting at. Yeah. So you hold it. That, yeah. Like a kettlebell yeah, yeah. almost. Kind of. We did that. And with regard to the squatting thing, he had me go up and down while he watched me and filmed as I was holding on to, um, uh, a, pole. A, a pole. Yeah. And, okay. and, he was, and, and, and the, and the beauty of that is he's able to like, because he knows you, you gentlemen and Marty, particularly, you know, tap your knee and he's, he, you know, he's moving your knee back just an inch. And, you know, if somebody at that level in yours, it's a big thing. I mean, somebody tells you to move your hand like, and how could that be so important? But it, it is. That's why when I listen to, to you gentlemen and, and Marty, particularly and Jim, like who coach and, and, and JP, you're just a, you know, a, a model of, of, of what they do. I mean, you know, you have, you have, uh, uh, it, it, it's really something to, to have the complete trust and faith that somebody has taken their accumulated wisdom and knowledge uh, to a level that uh, can really, really make you do things, things better, make you do things better. Sure. So going forward now, so you, you come home after that and you've got this, this new knowledge of, of lifting and form and what you're actually able to start doing again and capable of. Mm -hmm. So how has it changed you? How is your training different now? Well, I'm incorporating it into it. And there's another thing that he noticed too about me that um, I think I might have a little bit of a forward lean on my upper posture with your neck, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. you, you, you know. So I always used to notice if I was doing on a flat bench, my first set, my kind of head would be off the bench a little bit. Right, and he identified that by having me take a couple of dumbbells and do a form of like a light row to kind of maybe open up the, the or pull those muscles back a little bit, and it's it's almost magical when you do that, and then you get on the bench and your head is flat on the bench. So it's like uh, there's some things that you just kind of say, oh, I, I guess that's how I evolved, you know, that's where I am right now, and if it's not causing you any severe pain or discomfort you just say all right that's that's how i function and go it. about yeah. my life but but you you take what what they're doing what he advocates and and it can be uh you know altering 
Do you remember we had Corey on last? Was it last week we had Corey on? Two weeks ago. Uh, he had a similar situation where he could not do an overhead shoulder press with more than 115 pounds without pain. So we backed it down to, I think, 85 pounds and worked him up. And, oh, I don't know, uh, the week before the podcast, he did 165 for a triple. I'm like, and it was just moving it up five pounds, five pounds, five pounds, five pounds. And we kept the reps up kept the reps up like in the eight to 10 rep range, right? Exaggerated range of motion really made it hard. And it had a therapeutic effect. Now, let me, let me ask you, Chief, yeah. since, since that time, in that time period, have you strengthened up? Have, is the pain, have, have you, is it alleviated the pain to what degree, I guess? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I would say, Marty, that I, I've been at the point now for a number of years where I, my avoidance of, of compression uh, lifting, uh, I haven't had any pain episodes. So, but I'm just aware of, of what I've been avoiding. So maybe I, I've, I've been hiding uh, a, a, a problem by not opening up the door to it. And so by uh, now, you don't want to have a purposeful zone of weakness. Right. right. I, and I the, purposely don't train this area of my body. Yeah. That's and my what I told strategy. Yeah, <laughs> and, and what I told Ryan is, look, Ryan, I am not going down this road in order to become competitive powerlifter. I have no, no goal no, of a weight. No, no, that, no, and that's what no, I want to no, ask you. No, Let no. me ask you guys. Um, how do you get people who are not competitors to maybe say, I don't, you don't have to keep pushing this to the point of, you know, because I, I, I guess there is at All some right. point when let you me, go let into. Me, let, me, let, me, let me jump in, Chief, because I think I know where you're going with this. We have, our, we have five variations in each of the four core lifts, right? The first variation is what we call actually below zero. And it's through the use of suspension trainers and gym, what else? We'll have them do kettlebell deadlifts off a block. Yep. Start uh, with, with partial. Yep. Yeah. And what, what this does is this allows the most out of shape, uh, feeble of people to participate and use those, those, those full ranges of motion that they haven't been able to do in decades because their payload's too heavy. Their body weight's too heavy to, to squat back down and stand up again. Okay, well, we give them a tool that allows them to become light. It lightens them up. And so yeah. now they can do those full squats and they're like, oh man, this is great. I haven't been able to do this. And since I knew the chief back in Massachusetts in 79, <laughs> okay and, and and they can do it and and that, now you've got them hooked because each week it's like oh last week you did eight let's shoot for 10 right and they log it and each week they get stronger and eventually they're applying less and less upward pressure on the suspension trainer and then eventually they don't need the suspension trainer now we're doing three weights when they get up to, let's say, three sets of 10 freeway, oh, now we give them a kettlebell. Now we can do goblet squats, right? Transition, yeah. right? And, and it's a easy, so we have the same way in the bench. In the bench, and, and we use the suspension trainer 
or we can do a steep incline, right, Jim? Like we can go on a uh, kitchen cabinet and do incline benches if you're yeah. too weak to use dumbbells. Yeah. And, and, and I let, think, yeah. Go ahead. No, well, you I just ahead, think bro. you make the point to them that to trust the process, you know, if they and don't you, have- And you can get back in the game. Right. And if they don't have an athletic background, you know, they're not competing in something, uh, trust the process will be number one. And number two is have their logbook be their goal setting, have that be yes. their game, yes. their practice. Yes. With yeah. you. Yes. That's so right. They, they break out the logbook Every on a Friday and, and you look over it together. You say, okay, well, on the press, we're going to do dumbbells. You know, you did five reps. We're going to do six on, on Monday. Yeah. Uh, you know, just those little gains. Yeah. Uh, like Marty always says, without gains, without demonstrable gains, it's not worth it. Why do it? <laughs> you know? yeah. It's just Groundhog Day over and over. Yeah. Every day, yeah. every and chief, it's Groundhog Day. Chief, I, I can I can answer that perfectly because uh, you know basically what you're saying is I, I've done it. Uh, I'm I'm a guy that's um, you know lifted um, very very heavy and throughout my my lifting career. Um, and at this point, you know, it's it, when you can't do that anymore, you, your mind always wants to, and you have to kind of pull yourself back and go, wait a minute, longevity, longevity. I'm this age now. I'm not 20. I'm not 30. Um, so what I did when I started doing these lifts again, the deadlift, the squat, uh, shrugs, all that, I set a goal. I set a realistic goal and say my goal, well, my goal for deadlift and, and squat was, Okay, 315, I want to do with pristine form. I want to be able to rep that. That's and, good. And I figure 315 is enough. I'm going to have a strength level and a fitness level to where yeah. I can go out in the garage and pick up anything I want with, yeah. with care and be careful yeah. and not hurt myself. And it's going to keep, it's going to allow me to do the rest of the things in the gym. And, um, and, and, and JP, 315 yeah. ain't nothing. Right. I don't have uh, right now. I've been doing this. I'm 50 now. I've been doing this since I'm 14. Long time lifters like you guys. I did all that in the past. So it's not as important to me now to go you don't need to four, five, five, 600 100, pounds. What, 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 I don't, don't to want do to. And no. you have to be realistic. So chief, you're going to want to set a goal. You're going to want to keep a log book and you're going to want to make very small in, incremental increases. Because remember, the muscle is going to get stronger a lot quicker than your joints are going to, you know, toughen up in your ligaments and tendons and all that. So you have to kind of let everything catch up all at once. So don't be in, an, in, uh, in a hurry. As long as yeah. you're making little baby steps, that's all that matters when you have something, uh, you know, that you're trying to repair like a like lower back and all that. So let me ask you all of you. So when you when you hit that goal, like you had that three fifteen, would then you just sustain that? I'd reset. So I would reset at a weight when I I'd say okay, now we're gonna backpedal a little bit and then start your next cycle heavier than the you know the one you just finished. So you're so you're still making gains. Oh, I'm starting you know at two thirty this time instead of instead of two twenty. And then you'll end you, up at 325 you, and then reset yeah. again. And that way you continually make progress because, you know, you can't sprint a marathon. So if he's just trying to keep pushing and pushing at 315, he's going to get weaker, frustrated, unmotivated. So you back him up. Yeah. Okay. Also, 
think of it this way too, Chief. Is is uh, you let's say uh, J- uh, JP? What, how many reps did you do in your three fifteen? Uh, on deadlift, I'm doing uh, I'm doing five. I've been doing sets of uh, five for that uh, on the past two or three weeks now. Okay, so let's say you work up to three fifteen for five. Okay, so that's your top set PR. You'll also have PRs for. 185, 225, 255, 275. So uh, 295, 315. So now you go back to you have rep record for every poundage and you run up yep. the hill, go as far as you can, plant your flag, go back down. And now let's increase those rep records. Yes. On those, those poundages. For me, for me personally, I said, okay, once I get to 315, I want to handle that each week for a while because yes, my, my muscles are acclimating pretty quickly here and I can obviously do more reps but I want my spine, my discs and everything else to also catch yeah. up and acclimate and be able to handle that. Because I'll tell you what, cool. a few years ago, I thought, okay, I'm going to squat again. And I hadn't squatted or deadlifted or anything. This was years ago. Um, I put 95 pounds on my back and it hurt my spine. It did. And now I can put 315 on my back. I feel almost nothing. It feels very good, very comfortable, safe. Um, but you have to build up to that. It takes, it takes a while, but now that I'm there, I just want to make sure that that stays straight. And what I've done on the deadlift too, with the 315 is I've slowed my reps way down. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. You can do, you can do all kinds of stuff. Lots of stuff. Slow slow your rep speed. You can go deeper. You can do multiple sets with 315. Maybe instead of one set of five, you do what Jim three threes? Yeah, just just switch it up, you know. Yeah, switch okay. it up or, or five twos, you know. Right. So now you're doing more reps I'll, total, more tonnage. I'll yeah. say I'll say I'll say yeah. this. I'll, I'll say this real quick, and Chief, you're gonna have to do the same thing. Tension. We talk about tension when we're uh, deadlifting. Tension is everything for having lower back problems because I feel if I don't have that tension, if I'm not coiled, I don't have that support and I'm going to blow my back out. Yeah. You can't be sloppy when you're dealing with injuries. You got to be, your technique has to be so precise and so slow. And when I, when I turn around on that rep and I come back and, and set it down or, you know, I'm doing, I, I'm not doing a touch and go. I'm, um, and I learned this from Brad, Brad Gillingham, because I said, Brad, are you doing a touch and go when you deadlift? Or are you setting it all the way down, letting all the resistance, you know, set back on the floor? And he says, I basically start over on each rep. I'm taking, setting it down and, and picking it all back up again. And that's what I'm doing. I'm setting it down light as a yeah, feather. He's, Brad, Brad is doing a series of singles. Yeah, pro- yeah, probably. He's doing singles. And, well, I'm and saying if you, set, if you set it down and lose your tension, then you're doing five single reps. We don't lose our tension, so we're doing one continuous kind of rep, I, right? I'm setting it down. So I, I'm trying. I'm, I'm keeping pretty much 
all the tension. So maybe that means I'm not. Oh, setting well, no, no, that, oh, that's down. great. Oh, that's great. So you're I, keeping your muscle. Tension. I'm trying. I have to keep that tension. Otherwise, oh, I feel like my, my back's going to explode. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think Brad is actually losing all his tension, resetting and pulling again. That's yeah, maybe. I, I didn't ask him that. Yeah, he's he's doing a series of single reps within a larger right. set. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, that, right. that's just from my experience, but it's a uh, um, chief. You got time. I mean, you know, go by there's when you're in a situation like that, and you're trying to make your back better. There's no rushing this respect your, listen to your body, write everything down. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, you don't necessarily have to go up and wait every single week. If, if you're sore or whatever, listen to your body, because if you don't, you're going to blow it out and you've blown your back out like I have. And I'll tell you what, you don't walk upright all the way completely for at least a good week or two. And that's not a good feeling. Well, all right. On that happy note. <laughs> he, uh... Chief went on a call. Chief. <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I don't know why I got cut out, but I'm back. <laughs> No, 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 no. All right. All guys, I'll, I'll bring you guys. We'll go on the floor first. I think you must have changed your connection or something. Yeah, there, Chief. Hello. Listen. All right. Let's. Uh, yeah. Chief's got right, a different bro. connection or something going on. But uh, what's happening here? Oh, there this is. No, no, I, I haven't moved. I'm still here. Okay. Okay. Well. Okay. Well, listen, and, you know, maybe we'll have you on again in a few months and you can give us an update on how your training is going. You know, it's going to take you, it's taken me about a good year to catch up and, and pretty much be where, where I wanted to be after I set my goals and I feel so much better. So it, don't rush it. Um, and we'll have you on. We'll see how you're, you're doing uh, after, after a few months. Anyway, um, Listen, Chief, you want to mention a couple of, of charities that you're close with. Uh, and I've, I've checked them out, and there's some real good ones. They're local to you. I think both of these are. Um, you want to talk about that for a second? How about um, Cops for Kids with Cancer? Yeah. Can, uh, you can hear me, right? Yeah. Okay. So the first one, Cops for Kids with Cancer is an outstanding organization uh, which supports families with a, a, a little kid who's suffering from cancer where the family is given some financial support. This is a great outfit that has really come together. A lot of these police officers are retired. Nobody gets any money other than the family of the kids. We've done it in my police station. We usually have tons of police cruises here. The, the family is brought to the station and uh, we salute them and we provide them with uh, financial support. But it's a very uplifting thing for a little kid to see all these police officers supporting them. And then the all other right. one, the Boston Wounded Veterans Run, that's one well, of the greatest events you, you would ever want to uh, witness. Um, now, wait, wait a second. Let me, let, let me address the cops with kids with uh, cancer for a second because I want to give their website address. Um, and, and by the way, they've helped over 762 families 
And they, they donate to these families and help out with everything from keeping them from being evicted from their homes or, uh, and, and paying down bills, helping repair their car if they, if they can't afford. So, you know, just imagine your, you know, your, your kid has cancer. And the last thing you want to do is be worried, worried about if you can get them to the hospital or not, or get the treatment because your car's broke down. So this is such a great uh, cause here. And we appreciate that. And their, their website is cops for kids with cancer.org. Um, and then the other one you just mentioned is uh, Boston's annual wounded vet bike run. And that's coming up May 22nd. So who do you know over there? All right. So that was started by a combat vet veteran, a police officer from Winthrop, Massachusetts, named Andrew Biggio, who when he came back uh, from serving, he felt that there should be something done to help veterans who have been uh, severely wounded. And him and a bunch of friends of his uh, were talking about it. So why don't we do a motorcycle ride? Just a bunch of us will donate some money and give it to some veteran who's wounded. And we're talking about veterans who have lost, you know, limbs uh, from all over the country, by the way. And right. it has grown to the point where we have about 8,000 riders. And it's uh, one of the most beautiful, inspiring uh, events you would ever want to witness and every dollar that is raised goes to the identified heroes uh, this year we have four honorees I met them the other night and uh, it, it, it's a powerful message that we don't forget and uh, one, one of the most beautiful events uh, you, you, you'd ever want to you know be associated with I, yeah, and I can vouch for the credibility of both of these these are not organizations that have any other purpose than, than uh, helping people in need. I, I think this is an area that we don't often think about. You know, we have these, uh, we have our great vets coming home disabled and it's like, okay, their bodies are different than when they left. Their house doesn't necessarily operate with, maybe they're in a wheelchair or whatever. They, they, you got to have wheelchair access to certain things, doors that are a certain width. So what, what, uh, what I gather from looking at their website, uh, they will help with modifications to provide a comfortable living for these guys, you know, modifications on their house and things like that. Like I said, this isn't something we often think about, but this is a great service. Um, and you can check them out at their website. Uh, it's it's theyfoughtweride.com. So another good one. So please, everybody check that out as well. And um, um, speaking of uh, great things, we've got Marty's weekly column, Raw with Marty Gallagher at Iron Company. You can find his latest article, Training Around a Serious Injury, kind of ties into what we're talking about today. So make sure to visit Marty uh, on Instagram as well. He's got uh, some links to his articles and, and website and all that on there. It's at the Marty Gallagher and his website that uh, that uh, his wife, Stacy, she's more or less the, the engineer and the operator of the, the whole thing. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the talent. 
you're the talent. She does everything else, and uh, she's yeah. talented in her own way. On the, I am a, behind the scenes, right? I am a grateful kept man. Yes. And that website is functional-strength.org. Uh, and then, of course, for all your gym equipment and flooring needs, please check out ironcompany.com. We've been a proud supporter of law enforcement, all first responder networks in our U.S. military since 19. 19- 97 so check us out uh and then last but not least new jim steel articles can be found in our article section on iron company his latest one is 10 tips for building barn door lats and little did we know it we think marty might have uh invented that term barn barn door lats back in uh in the 1950s or whatever it was no it wasn't in the 50s don't exaggerate come on man it's in the in the 60s and all right again, wasn't too far of, off. no what one of the original reader principles you know like uh the, how we currently exercise the weeder mental confusion principle that's you know right. in a lot of our podcasts that's right yes <laughs> that's that's number 97 he had a principle for everything go get a drink oh, yeah, between set principle <laughs> stuff like that yeah well, Chief, I just want to thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great yeah, stuff. I love it. Yeah, well, Chief. You know, I started out by saying you gentlemen are very kind and gracious, and it feels like I walked into a bar or a diner. So if I walked into a bar, you're saying last call. So um, uh, <laughs> well, we we'll, appreciate we'll, we'll, it. But for last call, we'll have a Bob Hoffman weight gain with uh, bananas, oh, eggs, and uh, whiskey. Maybe some yeah, garlic too. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll be with I'll be with Steel having a boiler maker. Thank you. You can <laughs> you can do the uh, Bob Hoffman. Maybe we can find some protein from the sea for there you go. There you uh, go. No, <laughs> I've never had that, but that was a little before my time. That didn't sound too good. Plus, plus with we, all that soy can, in there, I don't want a case of can, the man boobs. If you know what I mean, we we could mix it with some Red Bull. Oh, well, that's a different story. Everybody does. <laughs> Listen, Chief, thank you again. Yeah. Listen, um, thank you for, for what you guys do in our community out there and, and, and everybody on the police department, not just at your station, but uh, countrywide. We appreciate um, uh, what you guys do and the sacrifices you make. So you've, you've got big fans in us. So keep doing what you're doing. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll have you on again in a few months and see how you guys are doing. No, I- I'm very grateful. I, you told me you came on. I was coming on with low expectations from you, and I think I lived up to them. So uh, yeah. you did a great job. You. you did great. It was a, appreciate it. it was a low bar to clear. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now, now listen, I, I think I, I think I might be in New York City at Ryan's Evolution. I think the middle of May. I think Darius. Uh, Gilbert might have me in, so maybe oh. maybe we can work out and have you down. Yeah, let me know. I, I I come down there quite a bit. Okay. Thanks, Chief. All right, James. Thanks. Thanks, Thank James. you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you.